so great this morning for the opportunity to come together and to worship you. And we pray that as we've just uh, sung this song that expresses our love for you, Lord, that uh, this uh, day and this week that you would be glorified uh, through us in the things that we say and the things that we do that uh, your name would be uplifted and glorified. And we pray that as we worship you this morning, as we read your word and hear your word, that you would uh, speak to us this morning uh, through your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read some scripture, and you can remain standing. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 20. Words are on the screen. And let me let me read uh, from the Apostle Paul. He writes, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, we're going to we're going to give one more uh, New Year's message uh, this morning. So, uh we're still into the new year and so I uh, hope you'll be patient with with us as we do that. And uh, starting next Sunday, we're going to go into a book study and we're going to look at uh, one of the great books of the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. And so we'll start that series uh, next Sunday. But uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, Wisdom Living, God's Prescription for 2022. And uh, here we are this time of year where we talk about having a happy new year, a blessed new year. And there's some good instruction from Ephesians chapter 5 about how that how that happens, how we're going to have a blessed new year. And so before we get there, we're going to just think about one introductory truth, and here it is. Uh, the scriptures place a high value, a high priority on wisdom. The scriptures place a high value on wisdom. There's a whole section of scripture, a whole section of God's word that's called wisdom literature. Uh, the book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom and God's uh, wisdom that he passes on to us as we read the book of Proverbs. And uh, there's lots of scripture verses that encourage us all through the Bible about the value of wisdom. Let me just share a couple of them with you as we introduce this this morning. Here's Proverbs chapter 4. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it costs all you have, get understanding. So the author of Proverbs is telling us that we need this, this value of wisdom in our lives. Now we know wisdom is different from knowledge. I'll date myself here. There was a TV show back in the 1960s. It was called Get Smart. I don't know if some of you are old enough to remember that television show. Uh, Agent Maxwell Smart was played by Don Adams. And uh, he, he the cool thing about him is he, he had this uh, phone in his shoe. You know, back before technology advanced. And uh, he would take a shoe off and make phone calls. And I remember watching that as a young boy and thinking that is really cool. But uh, we're not talking about getting knowledge or getting smart. The Bible talks about getting wisdom, and it's all through Scripture. 
Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers in Colossians 1. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding in the, that the Spirit gives. James chapter 1, verse 5. If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously. And later on in James chapter 3, James contrasts two kinds of wisdom. There's God's wisdom and then there's worldly wisdom. And so I, Paul, the Apostle Paul, as we come to Ephesians chapter 5, uh, begins to talk to us about wisdom. Now the book of Ephesians is, uh, is one of the most practical books in all the Bible. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are all about doctrine, who we are in Christ, that we are in Christ and we have been chosen by him and our sins are forgiven and we're redeemed through the blood of Christ. And he talks about who we are. We used to be darkness, now we're light. We used to be in, um, we used to be dead, but now we've been made alive in Christ. And so that's chapters 1, 2, and 3. When we get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, it's all about living out the Christian life. That we're followers of Jesus. And this is how a, a, a child of God is to live. And it gives us practical instruction about family life, about a married life, and, and just about living everyday life. So when we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, we jump in in the middle of the text here. The Apostle Paul writes, be very careful then how you live. You, you've been called as a child of God. You are a Christ follower. You need to be very careful how you live. Why? Because people are watching us. Why? Because the way we live influences others for either for good or for bad. And so we need to be careful how we live, how we think, how we speak, and how we act. James tells us every person needs to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So we need to be careful how we, how we live, how we think, how we speak, how we act. There's a little acrostic, maybe you've seen it, it's the acrostic think, and it's related to uh, think before you speak. And it says, ask five questions before you speak. Is it true? Is what you're saying helpful? Is what you're saying inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? That's the acrostic think. And if the answer is yes, then go ahead and say it. If it's not, then maybe keep your mouth closed. We need to be very careful how we, how we think and how we speak and how we act. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, not as unwise, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but what? As wise. So this morning we're simply going to look at three very basic, clear instructions right from God's word about what wisdom living looks like. And um, think about that as we... Uh, launch off in a, in a new year. So here's, here's biblical truth number one, wisdom living for a new year. Wise living involves making the most of every opportunity. Wise living involves making the most of every opportunity. That's right out of verse 16. Be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. The old King James Version that a lot of us grew up on 
uses the phrase redeeming the time. It's the word ex argaraza to, to purchase back from the marketplace. Now it's interesting, the word time here is not, the, the, the Greek has a couple words for time. It's not chronos, which is chronological time. It's 1027 or 28. It's the word kairos. Kairos means an opportunity. Kairos means a season of life. And so wise living involves making the most of every opportunity making the most of every season of life. The, uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 writes about these seasons of life. I'm not going to read the whole passage. But he says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. He goes on to list 13 pairs of opposites. And he's telling us there's various seasons of life that we go through. And we need to seize the moment. We need to make the most of those opportunities. Why? Well, the Apostle Paul says because uh, the, the days are, are evil. And so we need to make the most of every opportunity, number one, because um, we're living in difficult days. Not a lot has changed, actually, in a couple thousand years since, uh, the, since Scripture was written. If you go back and look at uh, the city of Ephesus, um, very similar to the evil in our world today. Paul says we need to redeem the time, make the most of every opportunity because we're living in, in difficult days, we're living in evil days. Let me add a couple other reasons why we need to make the most of every opportunity. Number two, because our opportunities are limited. Our opportunities are limited. Just like that, that um, item that you purchase from the grocery store, and if you look on the back, uh, if they're perishable items, they'll have an expiration date on them. Each of us are born with an expiration date. And we have limited time, limited opportunities. And so we need to make wise use of that. James 4.14 says, What is your life? It's like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So Psalm 90 where Moses writes about God's eternal and we're not. That our time here is limited. Written during the wilderness wanderings when when a whole generation of Israelites was, was dying in the wilderness, he writes in Psalm 90, verse 12, and this is a paraphrase, teach us to count our days so we can make our days count. We need to make the most of every opportunity because we live in evil times, because our time is limited. Thirdly, because we only have one life to make a difference. The old saying, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So we need to seize those opportunities, those those moments in our life. An acquaintance of ours um, that we got to know through our Maranatha ministry, his name was Pat Reepma. Pat, Pat Reepma passed away about six or seven years ago. From our perspective, at all too young of an age, he was probably maybe in his early 50s. Pat Reepma was the head football coach at Northwood University. 
He was a great, not only a great football coach, but he was a follower of Jesus and influenced a lot of lives. And uh, But he had this saying that he, he told the, uh, the, the football players at Northwood University and people that he met, he would say, I want you to go mad. And by that he meant go make a difference. Go, go, go make a difference in this life and seize the opportunities. John MacArthur in his commentary on the book of Ephesians says, outside of purposeful disobedience to God, the most spiritually foolish thing a Christian can do is to waste time and opportunity. And so the Apostle Paul says, we need to redeem the time. We need to make a difference in, in our faith. Uh, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul admonishes the Galatian believers in Galatians 6, 9, and 10, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Here it is. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Do good to everyone. But then he says, especially to those who belong to the household of faith. I want you to do good to everyone, but especially look for opportunities to encourage what other believers and the family of God. We need to seize those opportunities to grow our faith and invest in the life of others. How about seizing the opportunities in our families? Um, a number of years ago, I heard someone talk about the 216 principle, and I thought, what's the 216 principle? And they said, 216 principle is this. There's 216 months between birth and the age 18. 216 months. And you need to take those opportunities of that time, that window of time to invest in your children, to invest spiritually in the life of your children. And one of the things that kind of, I guess I would say, haunted me as we raised our three boys is I constantly was asking the question, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough with my, with my parental responsibility to, to build God's truth into the life of these three young boys? I'll put a little plug in for our Awana program this morning. I came across this uh, from Awana Ministry this week. It says 90% of uh, Awana alumni, kids that go through Awana, continue going to church after graduation. That's about opposite of those that, that, that don't. Uh, Awana alumni are far more likely than other adults to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to trust the truth of the Bible and read it regularly, to pray at least daily, share their faith, uh, to engage in outreach programs and volunteer in the church and community. And so that's not the tell-all answer, but it's it's one component to, to take these young lives and to, to build God's truth into each and every one of them. We need to seize the moment. Wisdom living involves making the most of every opportunity. Dale Witherington um, wrote something called the Life Builders Creed, and I've shared this many times but I think it applies here, and I'll share it again, and then we'll move on to uh, number two here. He writes, Today is the most important day of my life. Yesterday, with its successes and victories, struggles and failures, is gone forever. The past is done, finished. I can't relive it. I cannot go back and change it. But I will learn from it and improve my today. Today, this moment, now, 
this is God's gift to me and this is all that I have. Tomorrow with all its joys and sorrows, triumphs and troubles isn't here yet. Indeed, tomorrow may never come. Therefore, I will not worry about tomorrow. Today is what God has entrusted to me. It is all that I have. I will do my best in it. I will demonstrate the best of me in it. My character, giftedness, and abilities to my family, friends, and associates. I will identify those things that are most important to do today. And those things I will do until they are done. And when this day is done, I will look back with satisfaction at that which I've accomplished. Then and only then will I plan my tomorrow, looking to improve upon today with God's help. Well, we need to seize the opportunities that God gives us today to to make a difference. But there's a second prescription for for wise living. And again, these are right out of the text. And uh, this one's found in verse uh, 17. Wise living involves understanding God's will. Wise living involves understanding God's will. George Truitt, I believe George Truitt used to pastor First Baptist Church of Dallas. And he made this this saying or comment, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To find the will of God is the greatest discovery. And to do the will of God is the greatest achievement. And so wise living involves understanding God's will. So now we ask the question, well, how do we know what God's will is? How can we understand and know God's will? And I'll say this, knowing God's will is directly related to knowing God. And the more we know God, the more we are going to know God's will. I was thinking this morning that um, I met my wife Diane as a freshman at Cedarville University, and it was almost 50 years ago. I was a young 17-year-old freshman at Cedarville University when we met. We've been married for 44 and a half years um, I can tell you, I, I know, I know Diane pretty well. I know what TV programs she likes. I know what her favorite TV, um, uh, what her favorite color is, rather. Um, her favorite color in clothing is black. I don't know what that says about Diane, but she likes, her closet's like 80% black. I said, you need to get some, she's wearing black today, black sweater. You need to get some color in, in this. Uh, depending on what restaurant we go to, I know exactly what she will order. We've been married so long, um, you know, we don't even tell jokes anymore. We just say numbers because, you know, we just, uh, we've heard them so many times. But, but all that to say, the more you know somebody, the more you know their, their will, their likes and dislikes. And the key to God's will for our life is getting to know who God is. Again, this is all through scripture. Ephesians 5, 9 and 10, live as children of light and find out what pleases God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our goal or our aim to please him. So what is God's will? Uh, We discover God's will the more we know God. We discover God's will through um, his word. And this is the primary source of the revelation of God's will. So God's will is that we come to know him as Savior. 2 Peter 3.9, God's not willing that any should perish. This is the desire of his heart. His, his will is that all should come to repentance. It's God's will that you, you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. 
It's God's will that we be sanctified, that we we grow in our uh, faith in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. First Thessalonians four three. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. It is God's will that you should avoid sexual immorality, to be sexually pure. That's God's will. It's God's will that we serve Him. Ephesians 4 talks about the gifts that God has given, the spiritual gifts, and that we need to use those gifts to what? Build up the body of Christ and encourage one another as each one does its part. It's God's will that we submit to those that are in authority over us. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Uh, within the context of marriage, Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another. It's mutual submission. God's will is revealed in God's word. A number of years ago, Gary Friesen wrote a book, Decision Making and the Will of God. It's, it's a long, long book, about uh, over 500 pages long. And he takes a little different approach to, to finding God's will, but let me give you the summary of the 500 pages. He calls it the way of wisdom. God's guidance according to the way of wisdom can be summarized in four simple statements. So here's, here's his um, uh, research and writing on, on God's will. Very simple. Number one, where God commands, we must obey. Very simple. If, a, if there's a command in the Bible... We don't have to pray about it. We simply need to what? Obey. So where God commands, we obey. And James 4.17 makes it very clear. To him who knows the good he should do and don't, doesn't do it, to him it is sin. In other words, there, there's, there's sins of commission uh, where we actively break God's law. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not commit murder, etc., etc., but there's sins of omission, and a sin of omission means we know what we ought to do, and we don't do it. And so where God commands, we must obey. Secondly, where there is no command, so if it's not addressed in Scripture, God gives us the freedom and responsibility to choose. So if it's not directly relate, talked about in Scripture, God gives us the freedom to choose. I don't know if I should go down this rabbit trail, but I guess I will. I, I think probably COVID vaccines falls under that. You know, there's there's no there's no command in scripture, you know, thou shalt take a COVID vaccine. It's 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 a matter of of personal conviction in my mind. It falls under the, the passage in Romans thirteen where it talks about uh Christian liberties. And if your conscience tells you don't do it, then don't do it. But if your conscience tells you to do it, then you need to do it. And so there's there's freedom here for God to lead and guide and direct us. Number three, where there is no command, God gives us wisdom to choose. So that, that fits in with number two here. God gives us the freedom to choose. He gives us the wisdom to choose. And actually, I think it's Romans 14, not Romans 13, that passage I referred to. Number four, he says, when we have chosen what is moral and wise, we must trust a sovereign God to work all details together for good. And so wise living involves making the most of every opportunity. It involves understanding what God's will is that comes from knowing who God is and knowing his will and his word. Thirdly, and again, right out of the text, 
Lastly, wise living involves spirit-filled living. Wise living involves spirit-filled living. And that's verses 18, 19, and 20. So there's two key commands here. Uh, we just talked about commands and imperatives in God's word. And uh, they're pretty clear. Here's the first one. Do not get drunk on wine. Do not get drunk on wine. The Bible's very clear. It always condemns drunkenness. There's some stories in the Old Testament that aren't very pretty about Noah and his drunkenness. And the Bible always condemns drunkenness. And so here the Apostle Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. I think it was about a year ago, uh, we had a Tuesday men's Bible study and uh, it was a series by uh, Andy Stanley, pastors of a large megachurch in Atlanta. It was called Guardrails, and he was talking about putting up uh, wise guardrails in our life. And he was talking about alcohol, and, and I remember him saying, he says, I can't think of one circumstance and situation where we say, let's add a lot of, a lot of alcohol to the situation. That will make it better. <laughs> no makes it worse. And so here, the, the instruction is, is clear. Uh, don't get drunk on wine. And, and given in the context of, of the city of Ephesus, the Ephesians' um, drunkenness was closely associated with idolatrous rites and practices that were part of their temple worship. And so part of their pagan worship was to go to the temple, and it was characterized by drinking and, and all sorts of... Uh, 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 horrible things. Don't get drunk on wine, but here's the other uh, side of the coin and the other imperative. He says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk on spirits. Be filled with the, the Spirit. That's interesting. This is an imperative. It's a command. It's also in the present tense, and so we could translate this, keep on being filled with the Spirit. The issue is not getting more of the Holy Spirit, but it's allowing the Holy Spirit more of us. It's allowing the Holy Spirit, just as drunkenness controls the way a person thinks and talks and acts, then we, the Spirit of God wants to control and influence our lives. Now it's different from the indwelling of the Spirit. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you're a, a believer this morning, the moment you accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says the Spirit of God took up residence in your heart and life. First uh, Corinthians six nineteen. What don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And so the Spirit of God lives within us. It is a one time event, and it is a permanent event. He'll be. He lives in our and dwells in us forever. But the filling of the Spirit is something different. The filling of the Spirit or the influence of the Spirit is something that is temporary and probably needs to be repeated. I remember somebody uh, reading about D.L. Moody and somebody once asked D.L. Moody why, you know, why we had to keep being filled with the Spirit over and over again. And he said, because Christians leak. And, and so we, we need that fresh influence and filling of the Holy Spirit and so keep on being filled with the Spirit. 
speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and sings from the Lord, songs from the Lord. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are some marks of spirit-filled living? Let me just give you three ABCs. Number one, an attitude of worship and praise. An attitude, that's what Paul's talking about here. When we're filled with the Spirit, we, we have this uh, attitude of, of worship and, and, and encouraging one another and singing psalms and hymns. And it's an attitude of worship. It's an attitude of praise and gratitude, verse 20. Always giving thanks to God. It's a heart filled with gratitude for all that God has done. So it's an attitude of praise and worship and gratitude. Secondly, it's it's boldness in proclaiming God's truth. That when the Spirit of God is influencing, filling our lives, there's a boldness in sharing God's truth. This is Acts chapter 4, verse 31. As the believers are all together, and it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. There was a boldness in their sharing Christ and, and sharing their faith. And it was the apostles that looked at the authorities and said, uh, uh, We choose to obey God rather than man. It was the apostle Peter on that day of Pentecost that that, that uh, untrained Galilean fisherman who stood up in front of thousands of people and he said, you crucified Jesus, God's son. And he gave that powerful message. And so when the Spirit of God uh, is influenced us, there's, there's boldness in sharing God's truth. See, the, the C is there's Christ-like character. And this is what the Spirit wants to produce in our life. We know it by... The, the fruit of the Spirit or the evidence of the Spirit, is it's a character that God wants to develop in our life. Uh, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, on and on. Those nine key characteristic traits, that's an evidence of what the Spirit of God wants to produce in your life. Well, the last question as we kind of wrap this up this morning is is this question, and here's the $64,000 question. It's this, well, how can I be filled with the Spirit? So if, if, if the Bible says, be filled with the Spirit, if he lives within me, I already have the entire Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned, it's not getting more of the Spirit, it's allowing the Spirit more of you. And so there's not a formula, but there are some biblical principles that will guide us to point us to how the Spirit of God can influence our life. Let me just give you four of them very quickly. Number one, um, if, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you have to have the Spirit in you, so salvation is the first step. Uh, that's the first step to being filled with the Spirit. You have to know Jesus as your Savior, and then the Spirit of God lives within you. The second step is, or principle is this, to, to die to self. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And so it's, it's, it's dying to self. It's dying to sin. Romans chapter 6 says uh, that we need to yield our bodies as instruments of righteousness. And so it's dying to self. It's, it's having Christ in our life. Uh, the third principle is this, to being filled with the Spirit. Saturate your mind and life with God's Word. 
Saturate your mind and your heart and your life with, with God's Word. Psalm 1 talks about meditating on Scripture and, and reading Scripture. Uh, Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Philippians 4.8, think about things that are true, honest, just, of good report. And let the, let the Scripture fill your heart and fill your mind. Saturate your mind with Scripture. That's so important because the Spirit of God will never lead you to do something that's contrary to the Word of God. And, and over my many years of ministry, on occasions I've had people sitting in my office and they're telling me that, well, God led me to do this. And um, I had to stop and say, um, you know what? Um, God didn't lead you to do that. Because I can point you to a verse right here that's very clear in Scripture where God says, don't do that. So the Spirit of God will never lead you to something that's contrary to the Word of God. So salvation, dying to self, saturating your mind and life with God's Word. Uh, Number four, last principle, be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction. Be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction. And uh, there's times where we need to understand and and follow the the prompts of the Spirit of God in our life. When God puts somebody on our mind, and and uh, uh, He usually does that for for a reason. Maybe we need to pray for Him. Maybe we need to contact Him. Maybe we need to reach out and, and encourage them. And so, um, when when God puts a a person or a circumstance on your mind it's usually because the spirit of god wants you to to do something with with that and and so um, be sensitive to god's direction he'll always lead us according to his word Uh, god's direction and leading also is through uh, finances god leads us through the finances and so we we need to be very very um, careful that that god if god's leading to do something he will he will provide for that uh, financially, um, circumstances, open doors, God leads through all those, and we need to be sensitive to God's leading in our life. Well, wisdom living, God's prescription for 2022. You want to have a blessed new year? Want to have a happy new year? God gives us three principles here. Make the most of every opportunity. Seize, seize the moment, the Latin phrase, carpe diem. And uh, take advantage of all those opportunities that God gives us to make a difference. Number two, uh, understand what God's will is. And, and maybe the commitment is to, to recommit ourselves to being in God's word so we can know more and more who God is and what his word says. And then lastly, to make sure that we're not living a self-directed life. We need to be living a spirit-directed life and to allow the spirit of God to control and to influence how we think and what we say and what we do. And as we do that, God will bless and we will have a blessed new year. Let's, let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we are grateful for um, clear instruction in your word. And Lord, we thank you for um, uh, the word of God that's the lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. And Lord, I pray that as we have this uh, new year before us, 
Lord, that we will take advantage of every opportunity that you give before us. Lord, I, I, I pray with regards to our, our faith and our walk with you and our family and ministry opportunities. Lord, help us to seize the moment. Lord, help us to understand your will for our life. And um, much of it is very, very clear in Scripture. So help us to not only know and understand, but give us the will to obey. And Lord, I pray that as we um, leave from here this morning, that we will make a new surrender to the Spirit of God who wants to lead, guide, and direct and influence all that we think and all that we say and all that we do. And so we give our lives to you. We will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.